Greetings, Quester. The Meddlesome Meeples present Tome Talk with Richard and Matt. Richard's uh, going to present a book to us by Robert Reed. Yes, this book is called Marrow, and this is my very kind of dog-eared copy of it. And that's part of the reason why I want to talk about this. It's one that I have... Well, I read it when I was quite young. Um, well, I was old enough to kind of understand it was kind of like 17, 18, that kind of age. But um, it really blew my mind. And I had been reading quite a bit of sci-fi at the time. But in a way, this kind of ruined the rest of it for me. Because the scope in this book is so massive that other books I was interested in afterwards it, it seemed a little bit too narrow really like they were just kind of dealing with little things that it seemed even if it was in the future it seemed basically like it was just uh, the same world as we're living in just with a few extra gadgets and things and maybe we live on some different mm. planets or something like that because this ship was this um this book was set so far in the future and in such a strange society compared to what we're used to. Um, what it's actually about is something called the Great Ship. And that's something that I did want to talk about you know, when we were doing our What Ships Would You Like to Live oh, On? Yeah. You know, if we had got onto what ships from books you would like to li live on, this definitely would have been my number one choice. Now, So look out for a Tiny Meeple's Big Talk special about sci-fi ships in books. <laughs> yes, yes, which is going to happen at some point. So, um, right, what the Great Ship is, is a ship that was actually found by humans rather than having been built. Now, if we just think about the... Well, I'm just going to have... Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of the beginning of Marrow, just uh, while it's just, it's just describing the ship being found but it's being described from the ship's point of view it's talking about how um, it's noticed some little uh, creatures coming towards it in their ships they've come from a yellow sun which we understand as being our sun and tries to talk to them but it's got no voice and they explore the interior of it find it completely empty and then some more turn up and they start to colonise it. Just this little passage here where it says like how they realise how old it is. It says, My scars and my trajectory implied my age. No galaxies lay behind me, not even a dark half-born galaxy of consequence. That kind of emptiness has few obstacles. Comets are rare, suns are rarer, and even simple dusts are scarce. Yet my leading face was cratered and cracked, implying to the curious animals that I had come a terrific way, and that I was old as their home world. So that's just, it remains mysterious as you, um, as you go through this, but the ship itself is actually 20 Earth masses, so that's how big it is. And I just pictured that as being 20 times the size of Earth, mm. basically, because I know mass is a slightly different thing. Um, but what the first humans that colonise it do is they change one of the seas that are on it, because it's, it's kind of like shells. And um, it says it's got seas of ammonia and methane and things like that. And what the humans do is take one of the water seas and put some salt in it and make the temperature just right for themselves. Basically make it into a sea and then they build a nice coastal city next to it. So they've got this city on a ship and that's the first humans that colonise it. But 
where we kind of pick up the story in the book is where humans have claimed this ship as their own. They have several captains for it. You need loads for a, cap- for a ship that because big. Because of the size of it. So, yeah. yeah. And they have a master captain who is like the leader of the whole thing. And basically humans have claimed salvage rights on it. But other aliens can come and stay there. They have to pay a lot. And basically they are taking the ship on a... They're circumnavigating the galaxy. Because they thought they might as well take it somewhere. And basically other civilizations or people from it can just pay for the privilege of riding on it and they can get a little section of the ship and just make it into what their home world's like there are three massive fuel tanks in it which are basically seas of hydrogen which it uses for fusion burn every now and then that sounds like a massive health and safety issue. <laughs> yeah basically it is <laughs> you yeah. can just see somebody with a, a high-vis jacket and a clipboard going past going hang on hang on a minute here <laughs> yeah yeah and there is quite a lot of bureaucracy going on in it but in a very grandiose way because yeah. obviously they call it the grand uh, hydrogen sea and that the main character washing in it when they say that just thinks a fuel tank is a fuel tank so, <laughs> and, yeah and basically what happens in the book i don't want to give away spoilers and um, the the word marrow is very kind of significant to um, one of the, the main points in the book and the main things that they find out. But one of the main things that happen is that some of the humans get stranded within the ship and they basically have to spend thousands of years um, recreating society and like over generations kind of rebuilding uh, technology and like to be able to get themselves back to the main ship itself. And I thought that was an amazing concept, particularly since these people, their genetics are so advanced that they live forever. So you've got people that are existing with their great, great, great grandchildren, and they are still young. And, and still having to babysit. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, that's one of the most amazing concepts of this. Despite the size of the ship, it's like the type of people there are. They all have amazing healing abilities as well, just because they've started unlocking their own genetics mm. and things like that so um so that is marrow and there was a, a follow-up book also about the great ship called the well of stars which is also um a brilliant book but very very different so that's why i just thought i'd mention this because marrow is about people being stranded within the ship itself whereas the well of stars is where an organism tries to take the ship from them so it's a very different and is that type. the same ship that's pictured on the front because that it gives is. you an idea yeah. of scale because you can see the planet there yeah it? yeah i've got a planet here in front of the ship and <laughs> it's not covering it yeah. so <laughs> that is basically how big it is now when they're going around the galaxy it looks very much like a death star in that picture it is yeah but the death star is the size of a small moon whereas yeah. that's like <laughs> bigger than a planet so yeah um it's it's a, it's a very kind of detailed universe mm. that is created there and there have also been short stories about the great ship as well that's one of the reasons i really wanted to recommend marrow mm. today and i want to do that quite early in our tome talks mm. just because that was such an important book to me personally mm. and also there's been so much kind of come from mm. it but stuff that people might not know unless they're familiar with um sci-fi short stories actually um i got a collection of short stories by Robert Reed just called The Great Ship. Mm. At first I thought it might be the third book. I've been kind of waiting for there to be a third one because you expect there to be a trilogy, really. And he has written more about it, but not something that I would really class as like the, 
the third one. It the seems to be... novella type stories. Yeah, so yeah. there was a, the collection of short stories, and then there's this other one called Memory of Sky, which is called A Great Ship Trilogy. So I thought, oh great, that's part of the Great Ship Trilogy. But no, it is itself a trilogy, <laughs> and I've been saving that one. So I've read a lot of the short stories, but I've not read The Great Ship mm. um that one yet the memory of sky so i'm going to see uh, how that is but since then i have managed to read other sci-fi books <laughs> i mean um there's another one by him completely different which i'll talk on a, a later tome talk called sister alice which is a completely different type of story but still the main idea seems to be immortal humans basically mm. and i always think that's it's such an interesting idea because that's basically what we're going for mm. like with with advancements in medicine and things like that if you think about what the the end result would be i mean if they could uh, conquer aging mm. and in enhance the um, healing processes of humans just think what a completely different type of society that would be yeah and that's so. always interesting to explore through through stories isn't it it is yeah so yeah. i was wondering though cuz um i i haven't read any of his books but one mm. of the things I do know about Robert Reed is mm. his writing at times has been called sci-fantasy as opposed yeah. to sci-fi because mm. it's there's a lot of pseudoscience and a lot of the scientific angles of what he's wrote has mm-hmm. been challenged yes. um, which I think you know if I'm reading a, a sci-fi book I don't necessarily expect the science to make sense mm. um, I was just wondering what your experience of reading well when what what I found is that when I read it at first, there was a lot of concepts in there that I hadn't really mm. thought of before. But that was probably because I was quite young when I read it. Mm. But um, what he seems to have done is take concepts and then kind of take them to their fullest degree, right? Really, and that might not be all that wise sometimes <laughs> because, like, there might there's probably other reasons why humans can't or couldn't be as immortal as they are mm. in this. I mean, the healing is so flipping mm. fast in Mallow. <laughs> I mean, in some of the others, it's it's not quite like that, but people can, like, take a, a severe laser hit or um, or lose a limb or something mm. like that, and it and things grow back pretty quick. Like, thermodynamically, that, w- yeah. that wouldn't really be very possible. But... but there is, I think, with any kind of science fiction story, fantasy, anything like that, you have to have a certain suspension of disbelief to be able you to do. really yeah. enjoy the material yeah and it but it has to be a certain amount mm. you know i can understand that if people if it's so bad that it seems like someone doesn't know all that much science yeah. then that would be very annoying well i've heard it said that in good sci-fi you just need to believe one impossible thing yeah. and then you can just enjoy the, the rest. rest of the story and really as long as a lot of the concepts are kind of based generally in science, mm. then it's kind of okay. I mean, this is a lot crazier than mm. m- most science fiction. And uh, yeah, I can understand why it would be called like sci-fantasy. Um, Sister Alice is far worse for that, really, because a lot of that is based in dark matter. Yeah. And obviously you can just make up whatever you want about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that. Well, that's the thing there. I mean, I think if, if, you know, if I was writing a sci-fi book, mm. I would just use different concepts and just make up what I wanted to make up. Yeah. And you know just take it from there because you don't have to always make it um make sense someone wrote to gene rodenbury mm-hmm. asked 
a question about how one of the stabilizers works or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And his, his response was, it works fine, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing. Yeah, I have been enjoying watching the original series of Star Trek, but one of the ways that I enjoy it now is just to not try and make it make sense. Mm. Because, like, one minute they can go at a certain speed in the ship and then the next two episodes they get kicked out of the entire galaxy mm. which you know, doesn't happen on any other Star Trek really um, and, and it, it's that sort of level of no no this is a lot more grounded I think right. anyway but it's just that it is taken to such an extreme degree it's not like anything can happen mm. at all um, <clears throat> it is kind of grounded in scientific ideas but I imagine if somebody was very um, very into a particular field of research then they might think oh that's not quite right but yeah. you know, to me and I think to most readers um, the, the science would you are kind of satisfied with the scientific concepts or mm. I always have been anyway uh, reading them but then I have kind of also realised there'd be so many roadblocks towards this along mm. the way that that would be very difficult but like I say yeah you have to I believe one impossible thing. Yeah, I just think in order of having a, a grand concept, I mean, then I haven't really found many books that are that have the kind of ambition that these do. And that's kind of the main thing for me about it. So, um, yeah, I would recommend if you want to get your mind boggled, then <laughs> to have a, a go at Marrow. I had to actually stop reading it for a little bit sometimes because the idea of so many centuries was it makes you feel weird after a while and there's like there's a bit where i think the master captain makes an amnesty because they want to find a certain person but this person's a fugitive so she declares a hundred year amnesty and loads of people come in confess crimes and stuff like that and this guy waits until the last 20 seconds of the hundred years to like saunter in and like turn himself in and uh, it's just weird things like that mm. um it's just so outside our normal human experience, yeah. and it's just strange to get but that. That's in a why we. Like that's why sci-fi. we turn to sci-fi, though, isn't it? It is. Because, yeah. You know, otherwise we'd be reading things set in normal everyday times. Yes. You know, non-fiction. Mm. Yeah. That's Twilight, it. and nobody wants that. You keep mentioning that. <laughs> I just, I really dislike Twilight. <laughs> Did it disappoint you when you were reading your teen fiction for girls? <laughs> no. What it was was. I was at somebody's house and they had it on. Oh, and the film. I ended up, yeah, I ended up having to um, sit through it. Yeah, that would be pretty annoying. Right, yeah. I understand that now. So, yeah, it was traumatic. <laughs> this explains a lot about Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you. That was uh, this week's uh, tone talk. So next week, Matt will have a book to talk about. Farewell, Questa. To find out about other productions by the Middlesome Meeples, then check out our channel or rendezvous with us at middlesomemeeples.com. Until next time, Questa, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.